let it pour onto you. Let it bring all your dreams to life. Hey, this is JP Ross back to you with In the Seam Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Today we're going to talk about Euronymphing and our guest is Brian Spinner and Brian has the uh, White Dog Outdoor business and especially the White Dog Outdoor YouTube channel which is extremely popular. He's approaching 10,000 subscribers which is monumental in regards to uh, having a YouTube channel and having that many people watch. Um, Brian is really an excellent, excellent instructor, and I've got to know him pretty good, and, and this is a little bit of a blatant plug to tell you to go to his YouTube channel and watch, especially his series on Euronymphing, which is what we're going to talk about today is Euronymphing, check nymphing, all that stuff. We're going to stick to essentially the style of nymphing with a longer rod and not using an indicator, and I kind of am oblivious to some of this. I'm still kind of... I want to throw a streamer. I want to. I want to fish a dry fly, and uh, I'm not that good at this Euronymph thing. But I want to try it now. To put their, you know, your money where your mouth is, so to speak, to prove that Brian is awesome at this. On Brian's YouTube channel, he he consistently has these how-to videos, and he goes out in the winter time and catches fish in the winter. And if you're a fly angler, you know that catching fish in the winter is not easy, and he consistently does it. So. You don't have to tout that you're good when you've got film footage of yourself catching fish in the winter with this Euronymph style. He also is really, really innovative in regards to um, how he explains the currents, the currents at the surface, the currents in the middle, and the currents on the bottom. All of this stuff is on his YouTube channel, White Dog Outdoors. All you have to do is research uh, Google White Dog Euronymph, and it'll come up in YouTube. So... Um, today we've got Brian Spinner. We're going to talk to him about that and also a little bit of how the hell he got started because he really is super successful at this, approaching 10,000 subscribers, which is just awesome. So let's get to it. And just a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by our company, J.P. Ross Fly Rods. We are the makers of happiness, so to speak, in regards to small stream fly rods and other types of rods. You can find us at smallstreamflyfishing.com or jprossflyrods.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We're trying to grow our YouTube channel, and that's going pretty well, too. So without any delay, let's get to Brian Spinner and talk a little bit about Euronymphing and how he's been successful with his YouTube channel. Here you go. Thanks. It's a long way down with a smile for every moment. It's a long way down with just the rhythm of your heart. Well, all right, so let's get started. So today on In The Scene Podcast, we've got Brian Spinner from uh, White Dog. Brian, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Jordan. Appreciate yeah, it. I, well, I appreciate having you on here. Um, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, Brian, usually what we do is have the person talk a little bit of kind of about themselves, kind of get warmed up and stuff. So would you mind taking the mic for a little bit and kind of introducing yourself and your your company? Yeah, not at all. I'm Brian Spinner. Um, I'm with White Dog Outdoors. Um, we've typically in the past been called White Dog Trail Company, so a lot of the people historically know it as White Dog Trail Company. I kind of call it White Dog Outdoors. But, um, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, and, you know, I've been fishing probably most of my life. <clears throat> um, it's always been a real, real passion for me. 
And uh, I probably got away from it for a little while when I went to college and when I started work and everything like that. But the older I get, the more I get into it again. And it's really been a significant passion for me for at least the last 15 years, maybe even 20 years. And, um, you know, I do a lot of ice fishing. I do a lot of fly fishing. Um, I do a lot of, I used to do a lot of spin fishing. Um, And I find, I think the more I go, the more I just want to be in the wilderness, I guess, and maybe away from other people sometimes (laughs) um, and just enjoying the overall experience. But, you know, I like you, am, you know, doing a full-time job, have a family and, you know, at the same time, I'm trying to live the dream of, you know, being the outdoor guy too, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, there's, you, you take advantage of any time you can get any time you can get it. I think. Yeah. One of the things that has been on my mind, uh, lately has been whether I like being outside by myself or with, um, other people. What, what's your opinion on that? I like both. Um, I tend to fish on my own a lot of times because everybody's busy and it's hard to get people together sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially as I get more into filming than I am into fishing and kind of capturing the experience, it's so hard to do that on your own. Yeah. And so I would much rather go with other people so that I can spend a little bit more time capturing the overall experience to be able to share that. Um, otherwise I'm just kind of having the experience myself, right? You know, and it's, it's, it's a lot more work trying to capture it on my own, but especially if you're going with people who are like you, you know, they appreciate the outdoors. They love what you're doing. Um, and even, even people who are, are new to it, like teaching them and showing them, um, those are oftentimes the people that, um, I end up going with because they're so eager to learn and they just, they just want to see what it's like to do yeah. that kind of stuff. So I like so, it both ways, you know, but. So to kind of just for people that maybe don't know you right now um, and I'm, sh- and they will certainly look you up after listening to this podcast. Um, the, the channel, the YouTube channel really is kind of like your big success. Um, yeah. What is that? And, and um, talk about that for a second. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how I fell into that, to be completely honest. Um, I grew up with the White Dog Trail Company. Um, my stepdad and, and his two buddies formed that back in 81. So we're 40 years old now. And, you know, as I got older and I came back to the area and I started to get more into fishing, I got my guiding license and became part of White Dog. And it really kind of just, I was the younger one and I took over social media and stuff like that. And I, I bought a GoPro and I started filming some stuff and I put together some pretty basic videos and it was really initially just to share videos and experiences with some of my friends. And then I realized, Oh, other people are watching this. Um, and then it really just kind of grew organically. I never really planned on doing this. I told my wife and I tell everybody, I never thought I'd be a YouTube guy, but here I am. Um, and so it, I've, I've just kind of learned along the way, I think, um, of, of what kind of things I want to do and what kind of things I want to put out there. And I've certainly seen certain things take off. Um, well, that, and and then, that, I, I want to interrupt you on this for a second, because like, yeah. you know, there's people that have like an Instagram channel or a YouTube channel and 
I'll be I'll be the one to to throw my myself under the bus. We have a YouTube channel and we have like a hundred subscribers or something like that. Right. Okay. You have how many subscribers with White Dog? Um, we're eight thousand five hundred. But to be completely honest, so what is it now? It's the end of August. At the beginning of the year, I was thirty five hundred. Yeah. So. That's not like a dabbling in it. You're in it. I mean, some of you. Well, I am now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of your views on your uh, on on your videos are tens of thousands. I mean, I mean yeah. what are some of some some high ones? Um, so here's what I've learned about YouTube, and here's what I've learned about myself by doing this: is YouTube is a learning platform. Um, and so when I started putting out videos. You know, even like some of my best adventure videos, they really don't get that many views. And I really don't understand why sometimes. But then you put out a video that teaches somebody something. And that is always the one that gets you the long term attention, I guess. Okay. And so I think most of my subscribers and most of my views and stuff like that is all about from people coming to my channel to learn. And so um, I, I do ice fishing and, and, you know, I learned how to ice fish for lake trout by jigging them. And it's a really exciting kind of neat thing. And so I did my first how-to video on that years and years ago. Um, and I was really surprised at how that took off. Um, when the nice next ice fishing season came around, it really took off and it became my best, my best video. And I was like, not even that good of a video, but it's teaching people something. So they, they come and they learn. And so that has definitely been my biggest area is I've, I've started focusing a little bit more on teaching and, and helping people learn how to do things. And to be completely honest, I did that in ice fishing for like the last couple of years and it really mm -hmm. grew my channel. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm like, why am I not doing that with fly fishing? <laughs> right. And so, um, I started to do it a little bit with fly fishing, most specifically around your own thing. Um, and like I, I did, a have did a couple of videos recently. Um, I've got a whole series of urine imping videos and that is certainly helping to grow the channel. It's gaining a lot of um, interest. Yeah. Interestingly yeah. throughout the world, I get all these comments from all over the world. It's really kind of cool. Um, and any, anytime I can teach somebody something that's really where, where the channel kind of does really, really well. Well, you uh, just so that the listeners certainly know they'll go to the, um, at, is it white dog trail or white dog outdoors for the YouTube uh, on YouTube, you could just like type in white dog outdoors and it'll, yeah. it'll pop you right to us. Right. And, yeah. uh, and it definitely is an educational platform. You're, you've got some great stuff on there that is, if you just want to kind of like sit back in the winter time, like I do and watch you mm -hmm. catching brook trout out of a hornback. Um, but <laughs> yeah. you do have some terrific, uh, informational stuff. So if people, I do encourage them to go and, um, and, and help you and help us get to 10,000 subscribers, which we're hoping we'll do this year. Um, that you'll do this year with me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we're, we're on, on pace, yeah, we're on pace to hit that probably in a, well, probably November ish. That's um, awesome. We'll, That's we'll definitely hit 10,000 uh, by the end of the year. That's, so what is the deal with the, with the white dog? Is that like, was that your <laughs> father-in-law had a, had a white dog or something? What's it? You know, it's funny. My father-in-law is not a dog person. Um, neither am I really. I've, I haven't had a dog that was really my own ever. Um, it was so white dog trail company was started by by my stepfather who you know jeff whittemore and his two buddies john wainwright and john bullis back in 1981 you know they were young guys and they wanted to they loved the outdoors they wanted to guide they got their guiding licenses they helped establish the new york state outdoor guides association and they formed white dog trail company and john bullis one of the guys who who i affectionately knew as booty 
Um, so we hung out with Booty quite a bit when we were young. Um, he had a white dog and believe it or not, I never saw the white dog. <laughs> I, I actually didn't even ever see a picture of the white dog until probably last year. Okay. Um, so it's funny cause the white dog doesn't really mean anything to me in terms of the actual dog. It's just, I grew up with the white dog trail company and I yeah. looked up to those guys and I thought those guys were cool. Oh, that's cool. And so like when I think of white dog, it doesn't even mean a dog to me. It's just the experience I had growing up with these people. I gotcha. Um, and so to kind of, you know, now it's kind of like coming over to me where I'm, I'm really kind of leading most of the activity with white dog, but I've still got, you know, John and Jeff behind me. Um, and we still fish together once in a while. And especially me and Jeff, obviously, cause we're family. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, the, it's interesting. The white dog really, I think I've only seen a picture of him once really. Well, you know, it's funny how a brand grows on you too. Cause like, you know, I reconnected with you and then started watching stuff and, and I've, you know, you talk about changing the logo, but it seems iconic to me now. I really like it. But that's a hard part. I'm going through that right now. <laughs> it's um, so it's cool. so can I tell you? Actually, I tell you, so I, I want to put the logo on on one of your fly rods. I want to do it on the rod that we're giving away from when we hit 10,000 subscribers. And so I really needed a cleaner logo for me to use on things. And um, it is iconic. And it's been a real struggle to try to even figure out how to change that. I've I've got a final draft now of the logo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's going to be hard to accept because there's so much history in the old logo. Well, I know, but you know, Yeti has a lot of different things besides from their normal Yeti logo. And uh, yeah. a lot of brands do that. They have their, their, you know, we'll always have our shield, but we've got some different things that we, yeah, I've that we do that. graphically. I, I, so you can, you'll I think be fine. I'm definitely going to keep the old logo as a heritage logo. Yeah. Um, so that if people want to end up buying hats and stuff from us later with the old logo, they can still do that. Right. But. Cool. Well, now people will be curious to look at the logo, so go check it out. So (laughs) one of the reasons that um, I wanted to have you on here was to talk about nymphing. And I'm not I'm not into nymphing. Um, I don't I think I'm okay at it. I'm kind of a non indicator nymphing type of person, Mm -hmm. not for any reason other than um, I remember drifting a hair's ear nymph on the West Canada Creek the first time I ever nymphed. And got a fish on that fly, which I realized now I was kind of swinging. It wasn't oh, really yeah. necessarily dead drifting it, cause, and, the, and the fish hammered it. And uh, But we're going to get into nymphing and euro-nymphing or check-nymphing or whatever. Um, and I do want to kind of clear this up. Is there euro-nymphing and check-nymphing, or do we not say check anymore because of whatever reason? What's the deal with euro-nymphing, check-nymphing? Yeah, so... There's different European methods of nymphing. And this is where like some of the purists um, can get a little frustrated, even, you know, in the European countries that we call it just Euro nymphing. Um, but there's, there's a good book that I think um, uh, George Daniel, I think is his name who put it out. Yeah. Um, and, and some of the other people who talk about the different European methods, but there's Czech nymphing, French nymphing, Spanish nymphing, Polish nymphing, and they all kind of have their little nuances, but, but they can be kind of similar. Um, and so Euronymphing really is just taking bits and pieces of those different techniques and putting them together to, to what we call your European nymphing or Euronymphing. So okay. essentially it's using long rods, long leaders, um, high visibility cider material in your leader so you can kind of see what's going on. And then using typically heavy flies so that you can keep a tight line at distance. Um, 
so that you can kind of always feel what's going on. So, okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions and you tell me if it is or isn't considered your <laughs> nymphing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So using a rod that is over nine feet long, it is that does that you does that mean you're uh, nymphing? Or um, none? is it is there some leeway there? Yeah. I mean okay. all right then all right, wait, wait, wait. Next question. Okay. Okay. Having can you have any fly line on the water when you Euro nymph? Um, rarely. Okay. All right. Can you use an indicator when you're Euronymphing? A, like, um, a, like a floaty bobbery type. Yeah. Of to me, no. Okay. Um, but I know that some people do consider indicator nymphing part of Euronymphing. I don't. Okay. All right. So generally, so I'm going to try to paint this picture so mm -hmm. that we kind of have the vocabulary. You got generally speaking longer rods so that you can kind of reach out. Right. You generally have a thin, uh, a thin line material, right. That, mm -hmm. uh, is allowing the fly to kind of like cut into the, you have less resistance cause it's thin is what I understand. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, okay. absolutely. You have a and weighted... less what they call sag, less weight in the line. So it doesn't okay. pull the nymphs back at you. And you have a weighted fly, right? Yes. Okay. And you've got this long rod, so you can kind of leverage it and stuff. And from what I've understood, it's all in how you, uh, kind of lead the fly downstream or upstream or whatever. And I wanted you to talk about that. So we're going to define Euro nymphing as it's a longer, it's a longer rod works well, but you don't have to use a long rod. Right. You, you, you got this thin kind of monofilament or running line kind of thing. Yep. You, you're going to talk about leaders and you're going to talk about flies, but mainly it's going to be this, how you, and while I'm doing this, I've got my hand over my head acting like I'm, you know, <laughs> leading this, video. Lead it, like, I, like I'm leading this fly, but it is like a lot of it has to do with, with, uh, not having drag or having some contact with the fly as it goes through the current. I want you yeah. to, I want you to dive into this because at the end of this podcast, I want you to convince me to try this because I'm not yet willing. Oh, okay? really? Oh, so, oh, oh, you're, you're going to want to. Okay. Um, let's go. I, so the first thing I would say about your European nymphing is it's all about feel. Um, and so I want to be able to feel my flies ticking the bottom. And I'm going to say about 90% of the time I feel the strike. Um, so the most important part of your nymphing is really being able to keep a tight line from the tip of your rod all the way down to your flies. So everything that you do from the fly all the way up to the reel um, has a part in that, right? So like the long rods that are, they're soft, but sensitive are going to help me feel that hit. The light line that I'm using from the tip of my rod down to my flies is going to help me keep that straight line without affecting my drift. And those heavy flies are going to help me keep a feel basically of that. And so anytime I'm getting a, a, a take from a trout, um, I am almost always feeling that. And a lot of people will wait until they see their cider material jump or pause or whatever. And that's an indication of a take as well. But I find that when I watch my video, I won't see that, that um, indicator line move or do anything at all. And I see like the very bottom piece down by my reel will just tighten up a little bit. And it tells me I'm feeling 90% of the hits that I, that I get. So, and so, so you don't have the line in your hand? Oh, I, I absolutely have the line through my finger on my rod. Always. Okay, but, but you don't have it like, you don't have like, if you're holding the rod with your right hand, the line in your left hand. Um, 
Oh, it's kind of right. You got like your finger on it, like a trigger kind of, and it's going into the rear. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my, my hand is on the rod with my, with my first finger out and my line is looped through that and it's tight. Mostly because when I set the hook, I want to be able to make sure that line is tight and I don't want to have any give in it. Um, it also helps me feel it. If I feel the line tighten up in my finger, that's an indication of, of, of a take. But then my, my second hand is usually below my first pulling any slack out so I can keep a nice tight drift. Okay. So let's, let's, uh, paint a scenario. I, a lot of us read left to right, right? So yep. imagine the current is going left to right. Yep. So walk us through, you're going to cast and you're going to drift that thing. Talk to us how you would Euro nymph right yeah. in front of you right now. Yeah. So I'll point everybody to the YouTube channel. I have an entire series on how to do this stuff, starting from the really, really basics all the way up through. But in its most basic form, let's, let's say your, your flies have been in the water, they're down below you. You're going to snap them out kind of low and downstream, almost like you're setting the hook on a fish. And those flies are going to come back around behind you. And you're going to move your rod tip in an oval motion. And you're going to bring them around behind your head. So those flies are basically swinging around behind you. And then you're going to flick it forward upstream. And then, so the flies are going to hit the water. They're going to drive down into the water and you're going to try not to let your line lay on the water. You're going to keep your rod tip high and you're going to keep your line as tight as possible. So as those flies are coming downstream, you're stripping line with your left hand. If you're right-handed stripping line with your left hand and keeping your line tight with your right hand and you're keeping a nice high rod and following those nymphs downstream for as much of the drift as you possibly can. Um, and then even as they get down below, you can lower your rod tip and start pointing your rod tip at the flies a little bit to kind of give them a little bit more of a drift. And then when you've reached the end of your drift, you kind of snap them out um, kind of low and downstream and back behind you again for, for kind of to start the next cast. Okay. So how do you keep it kind of tight and still have it dead drifting? Or is it really not necessarily dead drifting? It's pretty close to dead drifting. The heavy flies are going to help you do that. Um, if you don't, so I use more than one fly also. I'm almost always using a double nymph rig. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tie some really, really heavy flies. And so uh, what I, here's another thing I found is I don't buy flies anywhere for urine nymphing. I make them all myself because I, I can't find them heavy enough elsewhere. Um, and I want to have a variety of different weights of even the same flies in my fly box. So I'll tie them at different weights with different size tungsten beads and with like different amounts of lead wrapped into them. And then one of the real tricks is making sure that, you know, when you're fishing, that you have the right weight of flies on. You, you want to, if I want one of the thing, biggest things I find is people don't use heavy enough flies. And so they don't have a feel of what's going on. You really have to have heavy enough flies where you can really feel what's going on. And that helps you also, it, it helps to keep that tight line without pulling those nymphs back towards you. Makes so sense. I'm trying to achieve as dead a drift as possible. The okay. further you get away from yourself, like the further you're casting those flies, the harder it becomes. Right. But the reason I'm saying this is because there's, there's dead drifting where you're kind of throwing slack in and mending it. And then you're looking for a visual indicator. Mm-hmm. And then in this Euro nymph thing, you're actually trying to, stay connected to the fly as it goes through the current. So it's, it's uh, counterintuitive to think that you're dead drifting. What you're doing is Mm -hmm. you're you're trying to kind of keep a line on it 
and drift with it with your arm and the line as it goes through the current, essentially at the same speed as the current on the bottom. Is that right? That's correct. And, and, and cause I have watched your stuff. Okay. So yeah, I'm kind of leading the witness here a little bit and I'm sorry, Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> but, but one of the things that I didn't really realize that, uh, now I'm starting to understand more, I knew it was there, but I wasn't necessarily sure how much it was different. The, the different speed of the current at the bottom versus current at the top is remarkably different. Very much. Yeah. You've done some things to, to show this too, haven't you? Yeah, so I'll tie like little um, little streamers or little ribbons on a waiting staff and I'll put them in the water. And you'll see that at the top of the water column, the ribbons are flying, like they're going really, really fast. And then as you go down every six inches or so with a ribbon, you'll notice that the next ribbon down isn't going quite as fast. And by the time you get to the ribbon on the bottom, sometimes it's barely moving. It's just barely kind of, you know, coursing along with the current. In fact, in one of the, <laughs> in one of the videos, um, one of the uh, clips I had, I, there's actually a fish behind my waiting staff sitting on the bottom that I didn't know was there until afterwards when I reviewed the video. And I watched <laughs> it like four times before I realized it was there. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So stu- I always want to do this. I'm, I think I'm a little bit crazy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Have you ever considered snorkeling some of your rivers? Oh, are you kidding me? Of course. <laughs> have you Have you done it? No. Most of the rivers I fish aren't deep enough for me to like actually do that. Um, I find that urinating is really effective, um, in water that I can walk through. Okay. Um, if it gets deeper than that, I'm losing touch. I'm losing feel. I can't get the flies down appropriately. It might be better for like a big streamer to try to get some big fish to move out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, so most of the time I am, I'm able to walk through the water that I'm fishing. Okay. Most of the time. So, um, it's you got to kind of set yourself up in regards to the current on the bottom versus mm-hmm. the speed on the top because as you're as that line is going down current Brian you're visually going to see the water kind of ripping by yes where the line's going through the meniscus of the surface right because yep. you're like I I the, when I tried to uh, to do some of this and then I kind of like gave up because I'm like I'm gonna go with Brian. But not, not to say that like your videos aren't great. They are. I haven't watched enough of them because I've got, you know, kids and stuff that are dealing with it. But I, you know, I have the ultimate experience, which is I get to go with you because you and I are close. So I'm, I'm waiting to do that. But from the early stages of doing this, I was amazed at how fast the current was going by the line, Mm -hmm. which was telling me that, that it is in fact true that the fly down near the bottom was moving my God, maybe half the speed of the surface. Sometimes. Yeah. What I'll notice. And so one of the tricks I tell people to look for is I use my flies as a, a way to find the slow water. And if I can't get my flies to slow down, then the water on the bottom probably isn't going as slow as I want. Um, and so I'll use my flies to search out that slow water and where I can find the areas where my flies will slow down there more that's most likely where the fish are going to be. Wow. Um, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot. I'll use my flies to search the water and to really help me read and figure the water out. Um, especially in the winter, um, obviously in the winter, the fish are going to want to be in the slowest water, but moving water, uh, the slowest moving water as possible. And so I'll go out in the winter and if I can't get my flies to slow down, I'm not going to get hit. 
And I'm really looking to find that deepest area where my flies are going to slow down. And that's almost always where I get the bite. So is it a consistent kind of speed feel when you're in the bite zone? Usually. I mean, it depends on the speed of the water. Um, but sometimes you, you, do you pick up like a sixth sense, so to speak, where you're like, oh, there it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You'll, you'll see like a lot of times I'll flick it upstream and I'll, I show this in some of my videos, but you flick it upstream. And as it comes downstream, it comes down about the speed of the water. And then when your flies kind of puncture that faster water and they get down to the slow water and you keep that tight line, suddenly your, your, your line slows down and, and goes, you know, maybe a half or three quarters, the speed of the water on the top or whatever. And you'll, that's, that's the key is you really want to see that water moving faster along the top, but, um, but your line is moving much slower than the water. And that usually means you're in a good area. Okay. So let's talk about leader for a second, if you don't yeah. mind so flip over to that. And how is that important? And, and, um, yeah. and, and, and there's leader and then there's like, the, I don't know, is it a running line or something? What do you call there's so yeah, there's a lot of complication that goes into that. And so the video I did that was volume two or three, can't remember which one now is all about leaders. Um, I think it's volume three is all about leaders and um, it, it can get really complicated. So here's the basics. You can, you can use a fly line. If you're using a fly line, you want to use a urine fly line because they're super light and they're just long, thin fly line. Um, and there's no stretch in them. They usually have like a braided core or something like that. To keep the, So there's no stretch. Okay. Or what you can do is you can use a running line, like what they call, just call it a mono rig. It's basically just straight monofilament line. Um, and a lot of people do this because they don't want to buy a hundred dollar fly line and they just put straight monofilament line on there. And that honestly works just as well or better than using a urine and fly line. But does not mono stretch a lot? It does. Um, it does. But when you're, when you're, when you're urine nymphing, it's a close quarters fishing game. You're, oh, okay. you're not going to have more than 20 feet of line out oh, usually yeah, at any particular time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and then what you do is, so if you're using a, f a fly line, a urine nymphing fly line, then you start with a main butt section. So here, we're going to break down the leader into sections. So you got your fly line or a mono rig. Then you're going to have the main line, which is going to be pretty long. And it's generally somewhat heavy uh, monofilament line that a lot of the pros and like experienced people, they'll use anywhere from like 25 pound to 20 pound. I've never gone that heavy, um, but, but they do. And what that does is it helps turn your flies over and helps you cast and helps you have accuracy. And then from that heavy mainline section, you do a, a, a high visibility section that's called your cider. And so I'll just use different lines there and I'll tie them together the way that I want so that I can see they're nice and bright. And then from there you go to a little tippet ring and then from the tippet ring, you go in the, that's where you tie on your, um, your, your tippet. And so the tippet should really be the only part of the leader that's under the water. And the two, and that's, that's the, by far the thinnest part of it, because as the water moves past the, the tippet, it's not going to have too much resistance against it. So the ring is usually above the surface. Yeah. I'll, I'll dip it in the surface sometimes, um, depending on how deep I'm getting. What I okay. typically do is I use a little bit longer tippet section and I'll just ad adjust my depth by raising or lowering the rod tip. So like the cider material will be a little bit further out in shallower water, mm -hmm. but it'll be right down to the water in some deeper water. And you're adjusting this tippet, uh, often based on depth, right? Or not? So <laughs> yeah. And so the way that I fish, I cover a lot of water. And so that means I might go from a shallow run to a deeper run. 
I'm not somebody who's going to sit and wait. <laughs> um, I'm going to go after the fish. And I, I really think that's, you know, for the most part in any fishing, you got to cover water and you got to find the fish. Um, and so I'll cover a decent amount of stream throughout the day. And so I'll purposely put on a longer tippet section just so that I don't have to keep cutting my tippet and adding it back on okay. as I go from shallow to deep. And so what I'll do is I'll just keep my, I'll just keep my rod tip a little higher and I'll keep that cider material a little further off the water okay. in, in shallower runs. But then it, I've got the length I need when I get to deeper runs. So when you're changing, when you're on the water, you're, um, you're just changing tippet length, right? Yeah. The, the, um, tippet length and the, the weight of the flies. Right. Are um, you allowed to add, to, to use a knot to add tippet or do you have to cut it all back? Um, me, oh no, you, you can add, um, like what, what'll happen is I'll, I'll use a double uh, nymph rig. And, um, so you've got a, a long piece of tippet and you've kind of got like a dropper piece of tippet tied off on there. Eventually you're going to snag bottom and you're going to break off. And then, you know, there's, there's ways of tying a knot back on so that like you just get a dropper, you get a longer tag. Um, eventually when it gets short enough, I'll just pull it all the way back to the tippet ring and start over. But I'm not, I'm not starting over every time because okay. I don't want to do that. Yeah. No, I just um, asking. I didn't know yeah. if there's resistance. From the, and, and are you, are you doing like six X, seven X, two X? Honestly, most of the time I find I use five X tippet, uh, fluorocarbon tippet. Um, anything under the water, I use fluorocarbon. Um, okay. and, and then above water, you can use monofilament cause it floats uh, okay. a little bit better. Um, <clears throat> but, um, so, oh, go ahead. yeah, monofilament, or I'm sorry, uh, fluorocarbon tippet five X is typically what I use. I will go down to six X sometimes. It's rare that I use four X or six X. I'm usually right in that five X range. And this is why having some of the right gear is important, but having the right rod uh, urine and rod is long, but it's a very soft tip, but it's a good stiff butt section. And so it really protects your tippet. So I can pretty consistently land a 20 inch fish on five X tippet with really no issue. Hmm. As long as I'm not in like raging water. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause a lot of our principles on the peacemaker that we made, it, it coincides with being a urinimping rod too. Oh, cool. Um, and we really made it to kind of like be like a dapping and good casting rod that mm -hmm. had a lot of power in it. So I'll have to get you one of those too. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I got two last questions for the Euronymphing thing, unless there's anything else you want to add. The first one yeah, of the, the first one of the two is since you're doing this nymphing thing all the time, does that mean you have to have like perfect flies that match the nymphs or can you have indicator nymphs and stuff? And <laughs> honestly, when it comes to nymphing, it's not like dry fly fishing. So, you know, I've been on the bat and kill throwing dry flies to the same rising fish for two hours and it's driving me mad. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that doesn't really happen so much with, with the nymphing side of it. Um, they're much less picky of a nymph than they are of a dry fly. Cause a dry fly or an emerger is something that's happening at that particular moment. That fly is hatching. Whereas when you're nymphing, it's just, there, I mean, I'm sure you've done this, but go and flip rocks on your local stream. You're going to see all sorts of different mm. nymphs under oh, yeah. all of the different rocks. And so mm -hmm. any of those are available to a trout on a regular basis, you know, under the water. Okay. So they're, they're not anywhere near as picky. I do find certain streams. I, I go with certain flies, but that's because they have certain types of flies in them. 
So like I, I tie this fly called the sexy stone fly. It's called sexy because of the sexy floss you use for the legs. Um, but uh, it in particular works incredibly well for big fish and a lot of fish in certain streams. And then in other streams, I can't get a bite. And it's just because of the flies that are in those rivers. Okay. Um, of, so Because uh, of the, uh, <clears throat> the ecosystem has different yeah. um, fauna, right? Fauna is yeah, animals. Is that right? Flora yep. is, is uh, uh, plants, right? Yeah. So, um, okay. A sub question. Sorry. I want to, uh, I'll get to my final one, but top six, just basic. If we're going to go get yeah. flies, top six flies. Um, stonefly, number one, got to be really heavy. Um, those, oh my God, they catch all the big fish. I swear to God, every big fish I catch is on one of my sexy stoneflies. I never get a big fish on a small fly. Um, that one. would be the number one fly that I would, that I would do. Okay. Um, so uh, a big stonefly. Um, from there, hare's ears, great, obviously great all around nymph. Um, they're uh, pheasant tails. I tie a variation that's a little bit different. I use this stuff called um, uh, peacock iced up. Makes it really simple to tie. Um, that's an absolute favorite. Um, I tie, oh, caddis. I would always have a stack of caddis in my box. Um, I tie four. some, well, I'm sorry, what was that? That's four. Yeah, okay, that's four. Um, trying to figure out which two I'd put last year. Um, I usually, no, no. <laughs> I usually do like some sort of indicator nymph, like a, like a rainbow warrior. Um, they're much brighter. Um, yeah. I think they worked well on stocked trout a lot of time to be completely honest, or if you need something to stand out a little bit more in like, you know, d darker water or whatever, it's got more flash. Um, and then probably a, a prince nymph. Um, those are probably some of the top ones that are in my box. Wow. Okay. Never streamers, right? Never woolly buggers or anything like that. Actually, there's a whole thing around streamers. Um, what do they call them? They call them jig streamers. And you're basically euronymphing with a streamer tied on a jig hook. And you're basically, you just kind of like bounce it along the bottom. I have yet to really get into that, but I know some people who have, and it can be really, really successful. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Okay. Final euronymph question. If you're euronymphing and all of a sudden fish start rising, what do you do? I'm going to get my dry fly rod. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just, just curious if you're like, oh, yeah, forget no. it. I'm a, you know, okay. No. Can All I right. tell you? So yeah. when I grew up un until probably five years ago, I couldn't throw a nymph to save my life. I would be throwing either a streamer or a dry fly on every stream. And, and I would die, die by the dry. Um, and then when one of my buddies got me into a little more tight line nymphing and stuff like that, and um, I hit like a local creek around here that was stocked, but it has really good uh, stone flies in it. And I was using some black stones and I just was crushing them. And I was like, holy cow, what is this? And I started to learn a lot more about it. And I, it blew my mind of how effective it was, how many big fish I'd started to find. It, it's really just an incredibly effective technique for fly fishing. So if so you try. consider it fly fishing, I had a comment on my YouTube channel this weekend about how it's not really fly fishing, but oh. you know. <laughs> well, whatever. Yeah. Just, and what is the, what's the point? Uh, right. I've even, I've even trying to go there. Right. No, um, there isn't. So yeah, don't. So, all right. So now we're going to get into Brian, the, the man. Okay. Oh, okay. Unless there's anything else you want to add on your own nymphing. No, no, I'm good. Okay. All right. So, 
I set you up here with some questions and stuff. So I want to know, you know, what does success look like for White Dog? You must have some aspirations. You've been very successful at what you've done and so far and committed to it. Yeah, it's, what it's interesting. I never really had aspirations before, but I absolutely do now. Um, the more I've grown, the more people I've reached. Um, it, one of the things that really keeps me going is getting all the comments from people on a regular basis of how my videos are helping them learn. Um, you know, I can't even tell you how many comments I get, of whether it's ice fishing for lake trout or, or this urine nymphing stuff or just fly fishing in general of people saying, you inspired me to go out and do this. I went out and did this and oh my God, I love it. I can't wait to do it again. Um, and just, I think the teaching and, and the mentoring of all the different fly fishermen and, and ice fishermen and whatever else out there is a, is a big thing for me. So I just really want to kind of continue with that. Um, as the channel has grown, it is, you know, it's not exactly what I call a moneymaker. You don't, you don't, make money on YouTube unless you're like phenomenal, but you know, it's getting to the point where, you know, if I can grow this, you know, significantly from here, it might mean an early retirement for my wife and I, and ultimately what we want to do is travel the country and film and fish and, you know, take it on the road and be able to visit some awesome places and do it kind of as part of the channel, as part of the retirement. Um, that is definitely a goal um, that I hope we one day achieve. And then I think one of my ultimate goals is more on the creator side of things is just producing quality content. Um, you know, if you look at my first videos, they're terrible. <laughs> you know, as a guy with a GoPro who didn't know anything about filming, um, photography, technology, um, but I have really, really grown with the channel as it's grown. And I really wanted to focus on the quality of, of it, not just making it a fishing adventure, but making it more into like a real film um, and having that quality where people are captivated by it. I think I'm, I'm a lot better now than I used to be, but my God, there's so much, so, so much that you can do and so far to go that it's pretty incredible. Oh yeah. Um, so that's know, definitely I'm, where I want to be one day. So, and I'm trying to do stuff too creatively and I'm right there with you. There's a lot to learn, but to focus on you, your, what has, um, motivated you or, or you've enjoyed is, is the giving, getting, getting, getting the feedback that you're giving something and helping people. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's funny. Cause like I'll get recognized now, um, out and about. And my family thinks it's hysterical. Um, you know, I was, we were, we were at a, um, we were at a Bass Pro Shops two hours away from here wearing masks in a pandemic. Right. And I'm in line and this guy comes up behind me in line and he's like, um, excuse me, but are you Brian from white dog? And my wife literally just goes, Oh my God. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and, uh, it's just funny. Um, but it's, it's cool because you're starting to realize 8,500 isn't just a number. These are people's, these are people who are legitimately following what you do yeah. and they're learning from you and you're, you're helping to make their experiences overall better experiences. And wait so till that, it's, that wait is till it's a hundred thousand, you know, That's, I'm sure it will be. <sighs> I don't know. We'll see. I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know the, where it'll go one day, but it'd be great if it did. Can you, can you get sponsorship money or something from ads or something or no? 
Yeah, you get once you're beyond a thousand subscribers, you do get ad revenue. Um, my my problem is that I've always got that next thing that I need to get for the channel. So <laughs> right now I want to I want a full frame camera to make my my quality better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so every bit of money that I get really just gets reinvested back in. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, hopefully one day it may actually you know pay some bills. Um, but you know, it, it, it generates a lot of interest in guiding and stuff. And I, I, I don't guide that much anymore, but what I do is I have a network of guides that I use and I pass trips to them and I get a little bit of referral money from that. That kind of helped me, cool. you know, pay for the channel and stuff too. So, um, when I had Mark Usick on recently, I asked him the question about mentors and, and mm. idols and stuff, childhood versus today. I wanted to ask you the same questions. Yeah, that was a good one. I'm, I'm excited about that. So it's kind of interesting in fly fishing. I didn't really have um, people in the industry that I looked up to. I just looked up to the guys of White Dog. Um, my stepdad, the first time we ever met my stepdad, I don't even know how old I was. I was pretty young, probably seven. Um, and the first time I ever met him, he took us into the Adirondack League Club if that's not setting the bar high. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had just fantastic fishing, fantastic overall experience. Um, and I used to hang out with him and, and John Bullis, the guy we call Booty and even John Wayne, right? And like, these are the guys that I looked up to. Um, I didn't have industry people that I looked up to. I, didn't, I don't think I really knew about the fly fishing industry that much, um, nor did I really look up to anybody in it. Um, so it was really just the people that I knew, really. Um, but nowadays, I think my, I'm not sure how many people I look up to in the fly fishing industry itself, as much as I do the creators out there. And so there are people like um, some phenomenal YouTube channels um, and just some phenomenal. And I think it's, it's less about the fishing and, over, and more about the overall experience and the story um, that they tell. But Wildfly Productions, love that guy. Um, Scotty from Wildfly is amazing. Um, there's another uh, couple of people I follow, like Tight Loops. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a wife, uh, a husband yeah. and wife. If you're familiar with them, they're the ones that did the, the movie Big Land. He's a yeah. phenomenal um, uh, filmmaker. And yeah, so I, I just, I love how he's doing a series called In the, In the Wild now or something like that. Yeah. Where he's searching read- out all of these these re- hard to find fish. I reached out to them to see if they were interested in hearing about the brook trout and the Adirondacks with trout power. Cool. Um, they're, That's, they're they, I love good. following them. Yeah. And Chase, very Chase and Amy Bertie. Excellent uh, artists. Oh, and that's what I love about it. Like it's, it's not, it's not, I, I don't think it's the act of catching the fish. That's so awesome. It is, it is reliving it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get to relive that. And I think that's another part of the YouTube channel that I like so much. So I'll go back and watch my own videos and relive the experience that I had, you know, mm-hmm. cold winter night. I'm going to go watch one of my brook trout videos and just feel yeah. better about life. <laughs> yeah. I know it's true. So, um, so Jeff and booty, you, you, you were looking up to them. Were they also mentoring you? You feel, um, yeah, whether they do it or not, uh, we used to go camping with, you know, with, with, uh, booty and, and Jeff, um, and probably less so the fishing on, on booty side, but like some of my memories of like, hooking and losing a big lake trout in an Adirondack Lake booty was the one paddling me around, you know? Um, but Jeff is the one who taught us to fly fish. And I know he, you know, he, you know, him from your days of your fly shop. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's when I first started hearing about you was, I think I was probably down in the DC area 
um, and when I was young and I, I was hearing about Jordan Ross, he's got a fly, a fly shop, you know, I'm, just all, all the different things that I would hear about, about you basically through, through Jeff and in your fly shop. Um, but yeah, it's just, Jeff would take us out on the West Canada for a summer hatch in the evening. And those are some of my most cherished memories of fly fishing, probably being on the West Canada and you know how the hatches can be and you know how the fish turn on like a light switch as it gets close to dark. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like those, those moments were, were really the, the ones that ingrained the fly fishing in me. Yeah. Jeff and I had many conversations about the West Canada back then. I'm sure. Uh, and the hatches that were predictable and I haven't spoke to Jeff, but, uh, with the way that they're, they have been fluctuating in the water, mm -hmm. um, he'll be happy to know that with the FERC license being changed, um, there's a lot of advocates to, to change the minimum flows and stuff like that. So it's going to take oh. some time, but I believe yeah. that the West Canada is going to have a big resurgence. It's going to be, be, be a great river again. It's not so great right now. I'll be honest with you. I don't think, but yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So go ahead. Is anything no, else? I was just going to kind of like, I've had mixed experiences there, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, some really good ones and some you fishing really hard to get a couple of bites kind of day. Yeah. It's, that's all, it's the flow. So it's mm -hmm. all the flow, but so, um, so you and I have kind of like reconnected and stuff, which is great. And I, you know, I look up to you more than anything because of the potential of JP Ross being involved with white dog. And I'm so honored that, uh, there's an old history there, uh, you know, that like, we're kind of like reconnecting on and stuff. And, and now there's like this new generation and stuff, but, yeah. um, you've been very, um, open and willing to want to do stuff with, with us. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Um, you know, why, and, and what, what you think are, we're doing right. What our messages are, why would you want to have us advertise with you and, and, yeah. and have the shield, in a video. Can you talk about that? I'm curious. Absolutely. I mean, it goes all the way back to the days where, you know, Jeff was visiting your fly shop and telling me about stuff and talking about Jordan Ross and telling me about the things that you were doing. And then, you know, I think at this point in my, in my fishing life in general, I, I, I look for people who appreciate the same things and want to protect the same things. And Obviously, all the work that you do with Trout Power, um, all the work that you do, one of the big things I love about, about you and, and, and the company is it's about helping people having good experiences on the river or out, just out in nature in general. And that even like a lot of the things you've said is just, just encourage people to get out. And that's, that's ultimately everything about what it is. And then, you know, I, I kind of connected with Mark Usick as well. And um, he, he did that amazing um, wood burning for me um, that I, I asked him to do a wood burning of like uh, a particular uh, quote from his book and some brook trout and some stream bottom and stuff. And he was delivering it to me. And I told him, I'm like, dude, I'm, my next fly rod is going to be from JP. And, you know, at this point in my life, I don't want another fly rod that is mass produced and doesn't really mean anything to me. Um, I loved every little bit of artistry and detail that you put into things. And I, before I even like thought about any kind of partnership or anything like that, I just wanted a JP Ross for my brook trout streams. I wanted something that was going to be important to me, had character and was going to represent me and something that I would 
be proud to throw. You know what I mean? Um, it wasn't just some rod I picked up in a, in a shop somewhere. This is something that was meticulously handcrafted for, for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that kind of thing, I think brook trout is and the brook trout fishing that we do is all about uh, character and like, and context. And I really just wanted the tools of the trade that also represented that. And so I've been wanting, you know, a JP Ross fly rod for probably about four years now. And I, I just, I knew that my next uh, rod was going to be, be that. And so Mark is the one that kind of got me um, to buy the, the mirror or, or actually you ended up giving that to me, but I contacted you to buy it. Um, and I wasn't shopping for any kind of partnership. Um, I legitimately just appreciated everything that you, the fly rod company, trout power, everything, and even Mark and the experiences that I get to live through him and his books. I just really appreciated everything that you guys were doing. Um, and so those are the people that I love to connect with. And so it's not even a partnership for business for me. It's just about being with people and representing things that you truly believe in. You know what um, I mean? Yeah. I, we, uh, we appreciate you too. And, and I mean, I appreciate Mark and I was just talking to, to Dominic Greco was just here, picked up a, a rod that I um, repaired for him. That he took a, a little fall and scratched it and I just put some thread on it to uh, protect it. But one of the things was, that, you know, to really do, to really help people and to, um, to, uh, just to help people. I don't even want to say necessarily teach them, but to inspire them to mm -hmm. want to get outside and do stuff outside. Um, you have to have a network because I can't do, uh, I mean, I, we could, we could hire somebody to try to do how to videos and stuff like that. But what's the point when there's somebody like you that does them so well already. And it's like, well, uh, Mark is, was saying on the last podcast that I did, he was listening to it, thinking about who was going to be a new guest. And he was thinking about you. And then he heard me say you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, here you are, which is really cool. But, you know, and I want to uh, I'm looking forward to to doing more with you. And actually, why I really want to do some some videos, because there are some small stream fishing techniques that are really helpful and very unconventional uh, for catching fish and trout in, in small streams. And, uh, and I found these to be true all over the place, at least in the United States. And I'll, and I'll look forward to doing some of those with you, but, um, so thank you for that. And, yeah. and I think we share a lot of the same, uh, emotions about both the sport and teaming up with each other. So you like your, you like your mirror, huh? Yeah. Of course I do. I'm yeah. not. It's funny. <laughs> I mean, I liked it from the moment I saw it. <laughs> I watched that video that you did, which I thank you so much for doing that. And I watched you like, you know, you flexed it and uh, it kind of like, you know, dry cast it, so to speak, whatever. Yep, yep, and you yep. could see, you could tell like it's e-glass and it like, it really bends. Uh, <laughs> well, have yeah. you had a glass rod before? Did you? That, it's my first. Well, yeah, it's my first real glass rod. Um, I think I may have had one when I was a kid. It might have been my first rod. Yeah. It was like this wickedly horrible eagle claw. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, that's the first real glass rod and I've thrown. I think. What'd you think about it catching like you know catching fish on it? How did it feel? Yeah, I mean, I've caught up the twelve inch brook trout on it already, um, and I just I I do I love 
I love the softness. I mean, even the other brook trout rod that I used before this was a full flex graphite, but it was full flex. It was, it was, it was pretty whippy. Um, and those, those small whippy rods, um, I just love them for the small stream stuff. Um, fighting every fish on, on the glass rod on the mirror is, uh, it's a different experience. I think it, it just, the fish, the fish feels a little, little feistier on it. I think. I think it gives them a little bit of an advantage and yeah. I think they, I think they know it. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, well, I'm glad you like it. I'm going to get the, I'm going to get an S class in your hands too. And then we're going to give one away when you hit 10,000 subscribers, which is cool. Yeah. I'm um, excited about that. And then, you know, I, I, this fall, I want to fish with you. You could try the peacemaker if you'd like it. You yeah. think it's good. Euro nymphing rod. Um, we've got an interchangeable section for it now too. So it's a 10 and a half four weight. And then you take out the third section and put a new third section in, and it turns into an eight foot three weight. Oh my God. I did see that actually. I'm one of your, on somewhere. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, and, wow. uh, and so that would be neat to get your feedback on that. Yeah. Well, as you, as you know, Brian, you know, part of, part of this podcast is, uh, is this in the seam kind of wisdom, right? What are the the little nuggets of life tidbits that you don't mm -hmm. find in the main current. Um, did you think about this question at all? What your in the seam wisdom is? Yeah. I mean, ultimately I think, so I get a lot of comments on the channel. Um, and I see a lot of, um, you know, even in, in social media and stuff like that, a, a lot of people say, Hey, I'm new to new to fly fishing. What do I need to know? And my answer is always the same. And it's, Fly fishing is a lifelong journey. Um, wherever you are in that journey, just enjoy it. Um, there's going to be so much to learn. You're never going to be, you're never going to know it all. Every time you're out on the water, you're going to experience something different. You're going to put some things together and you're going to figure something out. And every one of those is a little moral victory. Um, but in general, when I go to a, a stream, most of the time, especially if I'm going to a brook trout stream, I'm putting myself in some pretty awesome places. I'm exploring new water. I always have that next bend syndrome where I have to keep going and I have to see what's around the next bend. Maybe there's this great pool at the next bend. Um, it's all about that stuff. It's just about enjoying the journey that you're on and that that journey never really ends. And, you know, even some, some people, like I get people contacting me and they say, Hey, I'm 75 years old. I'm just getting into this. So hopefully I'm not too old. Like you're never too old. Just go out and do what you can do and start enjoying the experience that you have. And so I think fly fishing is a lifelong journey and just enjoy where you are. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And it's a good answer. And I'll, if you don't mind, I'm going to expand on that. Cause I will tell you that I, I've been fly fishing for a long time. And I've hit points in my journey that I didn't really want to learn more. I actually, I almost would kind of get like a little frustrated, like that there was more stuff, more new stuff. Mm. And it was like, I don't want to learn anything new. Like, you know, it's just, I'm happy where I'm at. Yeah. But then I changed and then I wanted to learn more. I wanted to try to do more uh, techniques and, and I'd have to be reflective to understand why that was, was it, was it, because I wasn't catching fish and I wanted to, and I asked myself why, or was it because mentally I was in, I had more room in my brain because something else, you know, went into the recycle bin and now I wanted to learn. I'm not sure. But for people that are in it a long time, like me, 
I think that the journey when you're in this um, this pastime of of fly fishing, you'll go through different uh, sequences of learning, not learning, being content, uh, being frustrated. Oh yeah. And uh, to your point, just acknowledging where you are uh, in that in that journey is important. And I guess that's part of the reflective thing. Lots of times we end up talking about reflecting on how we feel in this podcast. So, um, yeah. Thank you. And, and there is that frustration sometimes of not having a good day, you know, putting in a lot of effort, not getting rewarded with the fish, but then you think back and you're like, would I have spent the day any different? No, I was out in a beautiful place throwing okay. big streamers or flies or whatever. No, I, I'm, I'm going to go back and do that again. Good point. Good point. Cool. Well, Brian, um, I really appreciate having you on the podcast today. It was it was a long time coming, but thank you for spending yeah, time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, I agree. Long time coming, but um, I'm definitely excited about what you guys are doing and happy to be along for the ride, too. Well, that's great. We're, we'll set up uh, our joint learning teaching video. I can't wait to do one with you. So. Yeah. It's a long way down to the bottom of this river. Well, that was another great episode of In the Seam with our guest Brian Spinner of White Dog Outdoors. Tons of insight on Euronymphing. Thanks so much, Brian, for having you on here. We do want to urge people to check out his YouTube channel, White Dog Outdoors. You can just search it on YouTube. It'll pop up, White Dog Outdoors Fly Fishing. And thanks so much for listening and supporting us at J.P. Ross Fly Rods. We are the world leader of small stream fly fishing fly rods and other goods please check us out at jprossflyrods.com or smallstreamflyfishing.com it'll take you to the same place coming up we've got jamie frazier uh who is an adirondack guide we've got pete burns also from up in north creek he's also an adirondack guide he's been up there a long time he's going to give us a lot of insight and uh, Carrie Ray of Fisher of Zen podcast and website and guide service. So a lot coming up. Stay tuned.